Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Therapy Matters Podcast, your one-stop resource for expert insights and advice on everything therapy and rehab. I'm your host, Allison Jones, and today I'm joined by Dr. Meredith Kasten, a licensed physical therapist, entrepreneur, career strategist, and founder of the Non-Clinical PT. Meredith, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you. So today, uh, Meredith was kind enough to join me in discussing a near and dear topic, non-clinical alternative careers for PTs. But before we dive into that, I'd like to give the listeners a bit of background on who you are. So you're a trained PT and used to work with patients. So what made you decide to find another career path? It's, It's kind of a long story, but to keep it brief, I would say I kept going from job to job thinking that maybe it was the setting or the patient population or something that was making me feel kind of anxious all the time and not feel, I just didn't feel right. Things didn't feel like I was enjoying my work. I always felt exhausted and drained at the end of the day. And I jumped around and jumped around and jumped around until I think one day it kind of dawned on me that it just wasn't a big, like the right fit for me. It was, it was not the issue of, um, you know, any specific job. It was that maybe I didn't belong in patient care. So you had shared a couple of stories with some interactions with your patients that were sort of the, the, the turning point. Do you mind sharing those with us today or what those interactions were like? Sure. Well, there were, there were quite a few interactions that made me feel like this wasn't the right fit for me, but the, there were a few that really stuck out. And, um, one of them was, it, one of the patients in an outpatient clinic actually had an accident where he made a bowel movement on the floor of the gym, which is not a big deal. And it was, you know, it happens. It happens to people. He was an older gentleman and I think it was gym shorts. And I went to clean it up because it was, it was a distraction to the other patients and the other therapists. And I remember somebody said something like, that's not your job. So instead, we had to sit there and shut down the entire clinic and sort of stare at it through the glass charting window until maybe hours later, someone came and cleaned it up. And I remember thinking how wasteful that was on so many levels and how silly it was that I couldn't just glove up and throw it away. I mean, I'm a cat owner, so I'm used to these things. It's not a big deal. And um, so that was one moment, and it was more just kind of just an indication of how I felt like the system was just so broken. And then, but I think the one that really broke me and made me feel like I can't do this anymore was when someone threw something at me. And it was one of those really hard plastic gate belts that you use in the acute care setting. And it would be one thing if the patient was confused or, um, you know, they had some something going on mentally that could justify just chucking something at a therapist like that. But it was a perfectly coherent VIP patient, a CEO, and he was just being a jerk because he could. And I just realized that I could never be happy in a profession where I had to do so much schooling and I had to pay so much money. And I had to really, I had to put my heart and soul into taking years out of my life in my 20s and 30s to get where I was only to have someone roll in who's like a quote VIP and throw something at me and have no recourse because the patient's always right and patient satisfaction scores are, are king. And so I think in that moment, I realized 
it's a lack of respect from management. It's a lack of respect from patients. It's a lack of respect from coworkers. The nurses were very sweet and kind and let me cry at the nursing station after that because I was so upset. But other than that, I just felt like profoundly disrespected by a lot of the system. And I thought to myself, this is just the last straw for me. It was just that moment where everything kind of broke and I realized I couldn't do this until I was 65 or 70. So, you know, these are, I think, pretty common themes among PTs that are looking to uh, transition out of those roles. You know, a lot of uh, red tape issues. Uh, they're tired of uh, sort of the red tape, you know, waiting around for somebody else to take care of something that's pretty straightforward, pretty easy to address. And then um, sort of the the issue of, um, you know, respect and uh, workplace violence. I mean, healthcare is probably one of the professions that has a lot of workplace violence yes. issues today. Um, so I, I think those are two uh, themes that a lot of our listeners can can relate to um, and maybe have experienced themselves uh, in in their in their workplace today. So you could have left PT. Uh, altogether. You could have left the therapy world entirely, but instead you decided to start the non-clinical PT. Why did you do that? Well, it's interesting because for me it was, I don't really feel like I could have easily left PT because even though I had a prior profession, I had been a graphic designer and web designer, and I did a tiny bit of writing at this job that I had for a couple of years before PT school. I just felt like it was really, really hard to get back there. I remember calling my old bosses and and asking around, and it was just a lot harder to get back into my old profession. And there was also a part of me that was like, you know, I'm still making a little bit more as a PT, and it is. it felt like I was moving backward to just call up my old bosses and see, hey, can I come back and get my exact old job back and just be in the hole financially and, and just kind of move on with life. And so there was this part of me that was thinking, I'll do that if I have to, because I really don't think I can continue in patient care, but it wasn't working anyway. And so I think what ended up happening is I struggled for quite a while. And I have a sister who's a career counselor and career coach. And so she really knows this stuff. But I think what was happening in that moment is that I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And I had no idea what I was even trying to do. So usually you have to work through these things and it takes multiple sessions with coaching and everything. And so my sister was giving me these great pieces of advice for how to update my resume for certain jobs, but I had no real focus because my focus was desperation. I was trying to get out of patient care as quickly as possible. So I didn't have to cry after work every day, which was starting to happen. And so as this got worse and worse, I think I just started kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping something would stick. And so I remember taking one job where I was getting paid like $15 an hour to try to quote, connect with PTs at different hospitals. And then when I would try, it was I don't know. It was just a really weird situation where I was hired, I think, in November, and then they laid me off in December, like three weeks later. But that was because they ran out of their, I don't even know what the name of it is, but you would probably know in marketing. Um, it's like a contractor budget that big companies have. And so I guess at the end of the calendar year, that runs out. And so I hadn't even really 
barely gotten a chance to do anything. And then I was already kind of quote laid off, even though I was just a contractor anyway. So that was really demoralizing because I was not making any money anyway. And they literally just onboarded me and shown me the facility and been like, here's your badge. And then within probably three days, I was like laid off. And so that was, that was upsetting. And so I remember at that point, just getting kind of desperate and saying, anybody who's got any ideas, please come to me, tell me. And I was telling anybody and any, everybody who would listen, I was working over Thanksgiving one time and my coworker said, um, well, you know, I want to start this blog as part of this other business that I'm starting with my friend who's an optometrist. And so he, asked me if I like to write and I said, yeah, I love to write. I've just, I've never done it really professionally except a couple of, a couple of little projects I helped out on a couple of years ago before PT school. And he was like, well, let's see what happens. I mean, we don't have anybody who likes to write, so try it out. And so I ended up starting out kind of blogging with him, but that was an unpaid thing. It was completely just launching this website on the hopes of, you know, it would maybe work out someday. And then simultaneously, I applied to a job for a rehab liaison, and that was a PRM position. And that one is the one that I consider my first non-clinical job, because even though I never got a call back from management for it, I knew someone working at that hospital. So I called her up and I was like, please, anything you can do to get my resume noticed. And she was able to pass it on to the hiring manager. And that's where I talked to my sister, who's a resume expert, and she she sort of said, oh, okay, that's because it wasn't optimized for this particular position. And so it was sort of a a situation where I realized too late that I hadn't even put my resume together the right way. And all of these things were all coming together to where I did land this position and I did start blogging. It was all so wonderful. But at the end of the day, I was still in healthcare and it just kind of turned out that I stayed in healthcare. And then I started the non-clinical PT when I decided to actually leave healthcare probably like two years later when I decided to leave. I wanted to just go be a writer and I took a job at a content agency. But I started the non-clinical PT because I kept getting emails from people who who found me on LinkedIn or they found me through that blog that I was working on. And so they wanted help kind of creating their own path out of patient care. So I started the non-clinical PT because I was like, I know when I leave this particular job where I'm blogging, people are going to miss being able to reach out and ask me questions about their resume, about their cover letters. So it's kind of a long story, a long answer to a short question there. Okay. Okay, great. So it was just an, it was a need. There was other people that were, that were in the same situation and they, they, they saw that you were, they, you were successful in making that transition and they said, how do I do it? Yes. Definitely. Because everybody was struggling at this point. It was, in one way, it was easier because there were far fewer people trying to make the leap out of patient care. But on the other hand, it was much harder because nobody knew it was out there. There, these days, you, it's pretty easy to find out what your options are. But back then, it was, there's just nothing. And so you're just completely guessing. Is that because, um, it's, it's not sort of part of your curriculum when you're, when you're, uh, sort of going through school, it's it's not part of um, uh, sort of becoming a PT. They don't teach you sort of the the the, the business side or um, you know how to transfer those skills. Is, is yes, I say that that was part of it because when you're in school, I can't speak to it now because it's been like 13 years at this point. But there was nothing in our curriculum that had to do with anything non-clinically related except one class called professional communication, which I loved. And that was my favorite class, which should have told me something. And then the other one, um, 
I think it was some sort of business plan class where we had to put together, but of course it was a business plan for a clinic. And so we weren't even, we weren't even exposed to the idea of doing anything else. Of course, we knew we could go into management or education because our teachers, our professors were clinicians. And we we realized on clinicals that our managers were often clinicians, but that was about it. And so I think that was a big part of it. We just weren't exposed. And then it's also, there was a bit of shame involved. I think um, even some of our professors would say, oh, well, I teach, but I still work in the clinic. I'm, I'm not a sellout. They would say stuff like that where they would follow up by saying I'm not a sellout and I would have never thought they were a sellout by becoming a professor, but by having to say that at all, you're going, okay, what is this? What's going on here that makes someone feel like by leaving clinical care, there's something wrong with them? Or uh, maybe they didn't say sellout in that particular term. I think I heard sellout used for like a dynasplint rep came in and was selling some of their um, elbow immobilizers, I believe, or mobilizers, whatever they were selling. And so, um, I heard it t- like kind of thrown around there, like, oh, a sellout, sellout going into sales. And I think with professors, it was more like maybe out of touch or something. But it always seemed like there was some sort of negative connotation to leaving patient care and not many people were doing it. And so the few that did, people kind of gave them this like raised eyebrow. Why would you do this? And so I just don't think it was ever even something any of us considered. And even when I started to sort of confess to my coworkers and to my classmates, this isn't right. This doesn't feel like a good fit for me. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't think this is the right career for me. Some of their reactions were pretty negative. And so I think just, it was just a different time. That was back in 2015 when I wanted to leave. So that's already been eight years, but it was just a completely different environment and a completely different response from my colleagues, from my professors, from anybody I mentioned it to. Everybody was like, so soon? Oh, you wasted the spot for somebody else in, in the PT school class. Oh my goodness. So do you think do you think that sentiment has changed now? Do you think um it's it there's sort of more of that ex, that acceptance of yep, there's going to be some people who um have have gone through this process and then realize not quite for me, but let me see if I can find something else um where I can still use some of these skills but in a different way that benefits therapy. Oh, yeah. I think it's changed so much in the past eight years. It's pretty shocking because I think about it all the time and how people will brand themselves on LinkedIn as, uh, you know, non-clinical PT or something like they'll, they'll actually call themselves that in their, in their headline or a non-practicing physical therapist. And so when you see those people proudly using that expression in a LinkedIn headline, you know, things have changed because, yeah, I, it's been really cool to see people more accepting of it. And I think, I think a lot did contribute to that. We had some major reimbursement cuts at the end of 2019 and beginning of 2020. And then obviously we had something kind of big happen in 2020, the pandemic. And so with all the furloughs and layoffs that came with those two things, along with people feeling unappreciated and unsafe during COVID and not being given the protective equipment that they needed. I think a lot of people hit their breaking points. And then once there was this kind of mass exodus and great resignation during that era between maybe 2020 and 2021, um, now it's just become kind of 
accepted. I've even met some students, quite a few students come through and say, Hey, I'm already thinking about what I can do after I practice for a couple of years. So back then, I mean, I think it was only if you had a traumatic injury or something where you couldn't practice anymore, was it considered kind of professionally acceptable to leave patient care? Whereas now I think it's very professionally acceptable to be thinking about a non-clinical career in maybe rehab technology or anything else, public health, maybe while you're still in school. And that to me is is really, really cool. It's something that uh, I, I want to stress here is that um, leaving the clinical role and, you know, choosing to do something in a non-clinical uh, capacity is it still a very good thing. You're, you're, you, there's still a lot of things that you can do that have a very big impact on the therapy industry. Um uh, yes, yes. I'm really glad that you asked that and that you asked it that way because I think that's what draws so many people into becoming a PT or an OT or an SLP. You want to make an impact. And there are many ways to make an impact, but I think many of us were sold on the idea that when you're in healthcare, you're kind of doing, uh, for lack of a better term, like you're doing the Lord's work, right? You're doing really good work and you're making such an impact, profound impact on people's lives. And so I think that's what a lot of people, myself included, kind of grappled with initially when leaving the, the concept of leaving patient care or healthcare. And that was what made me want to start my business is that I felt like we have so much to offer what's really a broken system. I mean, if we go back to the patient pooping on the store, on the floor story, it's a broken system where someone cannot glove up and safely document that they just got rid of some feces and moved on with their day, right? Um, and it's, it's broken in so many ways. And so I look at these therapists who have moved into the coolest roles. I mean, including at your company, there are people working on EMR platforms and doing product management and uh, doing customer success. And there are just so many ways to still make an impact on healthcare, whether it's helping other clinicians have a better day because their EMR runs more smoothly, or if it's helping patients because you're helping clinicians indirectly somehow or directly, or you're doing public health. So you're still really working with patients, kind of. They're just maybe not called patients. They're called clients or the population. And so I think there are just so many ways to make an impact while still leveraging your degree without feeling like you've somehow wasted your degree in education. And I, I do, while I have the mic in front of me, want to add, you can go leave healthcare altogether and do something completely different. And it's still not wasting your education because you learn essential skills of how to deal with just about every personality type. You can communicate extremely well. You can collaborate, time management, utilization of resources. There are so many transferable skills and the problem solving that we develop as clinicians is top notch. So you can take those anywhere. You don't have to stay in a quote, non-clinical healthcare role. But I like seeing clinicians stay in those roles because we have such a broken system. It's just really nice to see rehab clinicians who care, who are really hard workers and who are really good problem solvers try to tackle this broken system. Absolutely. So you touched on it a little bit, but um, let's let's you know, like call this out as a very as a specific question. So, what examples of alternate career paths have you helped PTs find? Oh my gosh, so many! It's it's too many to list because even though I have an online course where I I group them into twenty five what I call career paths, each of those career paths has multiple routes you can take and all sorts of different job titles in those career paths. But the ones that I would say stand out as sort of the popular ones right now are customer success. 
And I think one of the reasons that that one stands out is that you don't need a ton of extra education to get there. It is becoming more competitive recently. So it's recommended to sometimes take some sort of additional certification or course, like an online upskilling program. Uh, but it's pretty easy because it's mostly customer facing in the sense of that you, you partner with customers to help them get the best possible experience from working with whatever product or service you're representing as a customer success professional. Um, so that one's really cool. I think it's a really easy t- transition for clinicians. And then some other ones that have been, I'm, I'm kind of using the trendiest ones now because it sort of changes over time. I'd say medical sales went from being something that people were really scared to do. And I think felt a lot of guilt about doing, because that's one that, again, I kept hearing that term sellout attached to it to now people are embracing it and realizing that we are the exact people who should be selling a lot of the products that we're encouraging other healthcare providers to buy. And we're also proving to be excellent salespeople and also clinical trainers or clinical specialists, which is sort of a hybrid of sales and training. And so a lot of these jobs overlap. That's why I think of them as like career paths rather than sort of siloed different ways you can go. But there are a lot of different directions you can go where you are required to have a clinical license. So clinical specialist or clinical trainer would be one of those. And so you might work for, say, a robotic exoskeleton company or another rehabilitation technology company that comes out with a new upper extremity piece of equipment for stroke patients, perhaps. Um, and so you you have all these options, and then someone's got to get out there and sell this equipment. Someone's got to get out there. That would be the salesperson. But someone's also got to get out there and iterate and say, okay, well, we tried it, and it turns out that the switch really needs to be on the other side of the device. And so that might be someone more like a user research exp- – or sorry, a user research professional or user experience professional. And um, then there are other roles that also come into play like product manager. And some of these like user experience and product management, you definitely want to have some more education and more upskilling, even more so than customer success. But whenever people balk at that and they say, because I hear some people say, oh, I'm never, I'm not like putting another cent into my education or I'm not spending another moment in school. And believe me, I've said, (laughs) I've said the same things, but you have to look at it like, well, then you never would have become a PT if you didn't invest in your education. So you can't expect to kind of waltz into a completely new career path without a little bit of upskilling. And if you do want to do that, you do have options, but those options are exceedingly competitive and you might not always enjoy them. So that would be another one that tends to be pretty popular is utilization reviewer. And that one's one of the ones that can be very controversial because when you've worked on the clinical side of things and you've worked with insurance companies where sometimes your claims will get denied or you have to really fight to get visits for your clients, for your patients, uh, that can really put you in a sour mood toward utilization reviewers. And and technically, utilization reviewers, really, what they're really meant to do is make sure that patients are using the amount of visits that are deemed necessary from clinical practice guidelines. But what happens is sometimes these clinical practice guidelines are developed by other utilization reviewers who maybe haven't treated patients in years. And so it might turn out that, well, really, you probably want more visits than they're saying. So it's just it's a difficult conversation. It's a difficult topic. It's a very controversial career path. But that is probably one of the easiest ones to literally just leap right into because you do need a clinical license. Some will hire clinicians. Some will, sorry, 
therapists and some will hire um, assistants just depending on the company. So yeah, you can literally just transition right in if you have the right background and um, can kind of speak to your skills accordingly. But then you find some of the same issues that we have in clinical care. So your time is very, very much documented and watched carefully. It's not always the most flexible role. Sometimes there are high kind of productivity requirements for how many charts you review per day. So I often tell people it's just leaving patient care for the sake of leaving patient care because you're unhappy is a really bad approach because think about it from dating or anything else. You don't want, when you're sitting on a date with somebody, you don't want to hear, oh gosh, my ex was so awful and blah, 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 blah. And he was smelly and he was mean and he hit me and that's why I'm out on this date. No, you want to hear why the person wants to be on a date with you. like. Wh- and so that's what I always think about with job searching. You've got to be excited about your next path. And part of getting excited about it is testing it out and interviewing people and asking them how they like that path and shadowing and taking some upskilling courses. You can get some really low-cost upskilling courses online. So get out there and check it out and and do your hours like you did for therapy and and make sure that you're making the right decision and don't just jump into something else because it's not patient care because that's usually not going to be a good fit for you. There are a lot of, a lot of other routes you can go that are fairly easy to get into that people don't really like. I would think that doing a bit of a um uh you know self-assessment uh yes. before choosing your next uh career path would would also be really important figuring out what what did you like, what didn't you like? Um, and then looking at potential um, alternate careers and, and seeing how that aligns would yep. help you find the right next fit too. Oh, 100%. And that's that's how I coach people to do it is I do primarily through my online course, but that's basically what we do is we take a four-step approach. And the first step is devoted entirely to why are you leaving? And not just why are you leaving, what could keep you in patient care? Because you want to know those things too. There's certain aspects of patient care that I didn't realize I would miss so much until I didn't have them anymore. One of those things being that the day goes very quickly. And so sometimes you you really do need to sit down and think, what do I love about this? What do I not like about this or hate about it for a stronger word? But also what comes easily to me and what is a real challenge? Because some people find that time management is a real challenge, but then you have to unpack that deeper and say, well, is it time management or is it unrealistic productivity expectations? Because a lot of us are actually incredible time managers. It's just that we're set up in a system where no matter how good you are, you're never good enough. And so I think looking at that strategically and thinking, okay, not just in my professional life, but in my personal life, what I, what do I like to do? I know a lot of people who love financial, you know, they do finance stuff in their free time and they use spreadsheets and everything. And so those are skills you can take to another job. If you know how to do a financial spreadsheet, you've got Excel skills and those are very valuable in all sorts of roles. I see you nodding with marketing. Yeah, that's a great skill to have. So absolutely, data data analytics is uh, very <laughs> valuable. <laughs> yeah. So another thing that we had talked about is, um, you know, there's a lot of career coaches out there nowadays. So maybe not, you know, when you know we were talking about when this sort of first when you first started this way back in 2015, and and you were making this transition and and started the non clinical PT. Today, there's a lot more of these um, career co- coaches out there that are uh, claim that they can help you uh, with your uh, changing career. 
Uh, so there's a lot of information out there for PTs, for PTs that are looking for a career change. Some are trustworthy. Others may not be as trustworthy. So uh, for our listeners out there, what are some of the things that PTs need to be aware of when they're exploring um, assistance in making a, a career path change? This is such a good question. I'm really glad you asked this. I think basically there are some red flags to look out for. So if you're hanging out in a lot of Facebook groups and people immediately recommend something and then they say, mention my name or drop drop my link. It's fine if somebody says, I recommend this program. It really, really helped me. I am an affiliate for the program, which means that I have a financial compensation attached to this and they're transparent with it. It's just that most people don't admit that and they'll say something like, oh, this is such a great product or this is such a great coach I worked with them or this is such a great XYZ. Use my link. And sometimes that's, you know, referral or affiliate marketing can be done very, very professionally. And I'm an affiliate for MedBridge. I'm an affiliate for a couple of courses that I've personally vetted, taken those courses, ensured that they are not some sort of pyramid scheme or, you know, multi-level marketing kind of deal. Um, but I think there, not everybody is, is looking for it. Like not everybody is looking out for those pyramid scheme type of things. And I've even had people call me a pyramid scheme because I think there are so many out there that there, people have started to just assume that anybody who's online running an online business trying to teach therapists anything is sketchy. And so it, it is frustrating as a business owner who's always tried to be on the up and up and always really tried to over deliver. It's frustrating that I have to sit and kind of be like, I'm not like the snakes. But I think it, there are just red flags to look out for for someone who's just trying to figure out, is this coach legit? First of all, look at them. Have they been successful? Um, uh, so there are a lot of people who have gone through, say, some training program for maybe entrepreneurship or any any sort of career change or it could be anything. And then all of a sudden, within days or you know months or something, they're trying to get other people to come into the program or they're trying to teach other people without even having spent more than maybe a couple of months doing something. And I see this a lot with like the cash-based business world. Um, more than the, more than the non-clinical world. I haven't seen too much sketchiness in the non-clinical world, although it is out there. Um, it's one of those things where another, another sign is, um, someone who's constantly doing something else or selling something else. So if they're, you know, one day they're teaching you about, um, oh, I don't know how to do some sort of marketing technique online, like how to how to use a certain type of website or Facebook ads or Instagram or whatever. And then the next day they're doing like a branding coaching program. And then the next day they're doing a financial well-being or CEO training or something. And so you'll start to see signs of people kind of like selling something or offering something new constantly. And then it tells you, well, when are what are they the expert at, right? What are they really knowing? And what are they spending their nights and weekends eating, sleeping, and breathing, learning about? And you can't really identify that because they're constantly changing. And so those are the main red flags are just like somebody asking you to DM them in a Facebook group for more information. That's usually going to be a pyramid scheme. Um, or if they say, oh, I love this thing so much. Here, use my link or whatever. And then you see a bunch of people dogpiling with their own links. 
Um, it's funny because Medbridge is a very respectable stand-up company, but they've traditionally relied a lot on affiliates to promote them. And so for a while there, I don't know anymore because I don't hang out in Facebook groups as often as I did, except for my alumni groups. But I know there was a time where in some of the doctors of PT groups, someone would say, hey, what CEO um, provider is the best? And then everybody would be in there with their affiliate codes trying to beat everybody else, just like drop mine in and then drop mine in. And so, so again, Medbridge is a good company. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the company is bad, if anything, you know, but just buyer beware because there are businesses that use that same exact strategy that aren't Medbridge and they're not good. And they really do operate on a scheme of like, get someone into this expensive program. The person takes the program, recruits somebody else in and, and earns like 50% of the recruitment scheme to pull the next person in. And then you start to wonder like, who's actually succeeding in this and whose success is coming from just recruiting more people into this program. And um, so those, I would say, are the main red flags. And then anybody who has really not been out doing something for at least maybe two years or so and successfully doing so so, and is trying to teach entire courses on it, it's a little bit more suspect. Great advice. So, I mean, bottom line, do your research. Yeah. Um, and you should be okay. Yeah. And there are a lot of really, really good coaches out there in this non-clinical space too. And um, I don't mean to come across at all like they're not good because plenty are good. Just, yeah, like exactly what Allison said, just kind of do your research, ask around. I always, when I, the one time I've used a coach was a spectacular experience. And I asked for a ton of references before I worked with her. And that's what made me feel comfortable because there were people who had found the exact success I was looking for because of their work with her. And so just ask those questions and don't be afraid to ask for references. Yeah. References are a great, uh, they're, they're a great way to, uh, verify, um, verify a company. And if a company is not willing to do references, that's usually yeah, telltale sign. Yeah. Okay. So, um, any final thoughts for our listeners today? Yeah, I would say my final thoughts for anybody listening are first of all, thanks for listening. But also, you know, if you're wherever you are in your career, whether you're still a student, whether you're early in your career, you're quite experienced, mid career, don't feel bad if you want to change. Don't feel bad if you don't want to change either. If you're perfectly happy and it feels like the hot thing right now is to leave and go non-clinical because everybody's talking about how much money you can make, but you like what you do, stay put. It's your life to live. And that's what I always want people to understand at the end of the day is that I wish when I was having this kind of reckoning moment, I just wish that everybody had been a lot more kind to me for wanting a change. And I want everybody to know that it's okay to have a change in your life. It's okay to not want to change in your life. It's okay to think you don't want to change and then decide you do want to change. It's just like having kids, you know, you might not want them and then change your mind, or you might think you want them and change your mind and not have them after all. And we are all our own people in this world and your career path is your business. So please don't let what other people say impact you or make you feel bad. And if you're picking a career path, even if you leave patient care that isn't the hot one or it's not going to make as much money, it doesn't matter because hopefully you have done the work to identify what really, really matters to you and is going to make you happy as a non-practicing PT or practicing PT or any other clinician. Excellent. 
Thank you so much, Meredith. Follow your passion. That's the bottom line. But thank you to our audience for tuning into the Therapy Matters podcast, your one-stop resource for expert insights and advice on everything therapy and rehab. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Therapy Matters. Do you like the podcast? Give us a five-star rating, subscribe, and tell all your friends about the show. Want to be a guest or know someone that would be a great guest speaker? Contact me at allison.jones at raintreeinc.com. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N dot jones at raintreeinc.com. Therapy Matters is brought to you by Raintree, therapy and rehab's favorite EMR. Raintree is the only all-in-one therapy EMR delivering a complete and seamless end-to-end patient journey from first contact to payment to patient retention. To learn more about Raintree, visit us online at raintreeinc.com.